Hey, good morning. How's everyone? Had a good week? Nothing too crazy? Awesome. Well, I'm assuming you're smiling under your mask, but it's just an assumption. So, hey, we're good Good to be here with you this morning. My name is Mark. Uh, welcome to Redemption Park. Welcome to the worship of God. If you have a Bible, you can begin to make your way to the book of First Peter. It's towards the right side of your Bible, right before you get to the book of uh, Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. You're going to see the Peters. So 1st Peter is where we're at, chapter 1, uh, where we're going to be uh, kind of camping out this morning. Um, any of you have one of those like family values boards in, in your house? Like in our family, we value these things. No, no one went to Hobby Lobby and got that thing? No one? Seriously? Was that like the rage like 10 years ago or something? Well, I, I, I was thinking about that as I was looking at this passage and, and thinking through some of one, one of them I saw on the internet. I think we have a slide of it is uh, just, this is kind of a typical one. I, uh, maybe you have something like this. Usually it's on like, uh, what's that called? Shiplap or, you know, some, some sort of artsy font. And, and so this is pretty, pretty basic in our home. We do second chances. We do thank yous. We do real. We do I'm sorry's. We do love. We do laughter. We do mistakes. We do respect. We do happiness. We do dreams. We do faith we do family. Okay, so some of you are like writing that down. We're going to get that. I think you can get that one at Hobby Lobby, actually, uh, and just be like, yeah, that's our family values. So I, I was kind of hoping some of you had, had done this so I could get some of your, your input, but, um, but you haven't. So uh, I was thinking about some friends of ours. The first time I saw one of these boards, uh, friends of ours, they were missionaries with us in Okinawa, and uh, they, they had some of these things that you would expect, but, but a couple that stuck out, uh, you know, like we do a Apologies, and so uh, in their family they would often say, "Hey, remember we do apologies. That's who we are." But they also had, uh, "We we eat bacon, all the bacon." And, and so I was like, "Yes, there you go. Just put that on the board. That's a family value." Now. In the Oshman household, we don't have one of these. We've thought about it for, for a while, but now our kids are, are teenagers and it's too late. But um, <laughs> we thought about it. But when they were younger, at one point I was. I was actually preparing to preach on the book of Philippians and in that part where, where Paul just talks about the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And, and as I was preparing for that, I was just thinking, yeah, just in every area, every scope of, of, of life, uh, work, family, play, in every area, like Jesus is, is the most valuable. It, it's all about Jesus. And so uh, Jennifer and I kind of just sat down and said, in, in light of our parenting, uh, how should this look? And, and I'll put it on the, the website later this afternoon or on social media. But we came up with uh, what we call the Oshman Parenting Manifesto. Now, manifesto might be a little bit of a strong word. But uh, nonetheless, just kind of trying to guide us a little bit of just how we think about what we do with our kids, why we do that with our kids, how we point them, what we're going to value, what we're not going to value in our family. What happens if, if they have no desire to follow Jesus, even though we believe all of life is about Jesus, how, how we're going to respond, how we're going to continue to love, but not create an environment that would lead to their destruction and so on and so forth. Um, but but, but that, that was just an attempt to kind of establish family culture. Uh, like this is who we are. This is what it means to be. So sometimes we'll, we'll say in our family, hey, uh, as, our, as the girls are uh, leaving the house, going out somewhere, hey, remember who you are. Remember, Oshmans are like this, and, and whether they do that or not, it's, it's still trying to gear their hearts towards a, a particular vision. Now, 
Every one of us in this room comes from some sort of background, some sort of family background. And more than you know, that has shaped your values, your vision, what's right, what's wrong. And sometimes it was more caught than taught, right? Like they might have had the family board on the wall, but in your home, it was like, no, we don't do apologies. We, we don't do uh, faith. We, we just kind of go, whatever, right? So you were discipled uh, in your family, either intentionally or not, uh, on, on what to think about uh, your money, what to think about faith, what to think about your family and relationships and forgiveness and, and how you're going to relate. All of us were discipled in those ways. And sometimes we're not really aware of it until um, like you're sitting in front of me doing premarital counseling and I'm like, hey, tell me about your family. Oh, she's got this value and yours is opposite. Do you, did you guys see that? And they're like, no, we didn't. We, didn't, we just thought this was the right way. Because there's always a family culture. For, for better or for worse, there's a culture. And, and in your family right now, you are established, you're either going to be intentional about it or it's going to just kind of come along. One way or another, you are establishing a culture. Now, what does that culture say about what you believe? What does that say about what is of ultimate importance? What does that say about marriage and money and work and, and, and play and all those things? Whether you have the board or not, you have a family culture. Now, as, we were, as I was studying this week, I was thinking about that. Because as Aaron just read, in, a, in last week we looked at uh, the first 12 verses, Peter just kind of unpacked, hey, we are, the, the, our primary identity in this world are elect exiles. So, so we are exiles in, in a sense as God's followers. We are outsiders because we are elect, because we have been loved by God, because we've been given a new family. This world is not our family. And so we are elect exiles. And then in verse three, it said, uh, we have been born again into God's family. And, and make no mistake about it, God has a family culture. He has family visions and family values that he wants his children to grow up into. In fact, I want us to just start this morning, uh, starting at the end of our passage, just to see where we're headed uh, to, to kind of get a, a grasp of this. We're, we're going to end in uh, the beginning of chapter 2, uh, in verses 2 and 3. I'll, I'll just read that before we begin to unpack uh, the previous verses. It says this, Peter says, like newborn infants, there's family language again because we have been born again. And when you're born again, you start new. He says, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. Now in the context, he's talking about growing up in salvation, growing up in, through the word of God. Long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. That there is, a, there is a maturing in the family of God that should be happening in our lives, in all of our lives that call ourselves followers of God. Because we've been born again, we're growing up, verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, there's kind of a question in that, isn't there? Well, what, what Peter's going to say is, what I've just told you, what, what we're about to unpack, what I've just told you is kind of a mirror. And this, this isn't the only time in the New Testament where we're kind of encouraged to look into the mirror. I think of First uh, uh, Corinthians, uh, I forget the verse, and I don't have it in my notes, where, where I think it's, it might be Second Corinthians 13, 5, where Paul says, test yourselves to make sure you're in the faith. The implication is that, that churches are full of people that are presuming upon their faith. They're presuming upon their position in the family of God. 
And so that, that can kind of sometimes be a little bit painful as we pull up the mirror of God's word and, and look into these things of what is the family of God? What does family culture look like? And, and does my life reflect that? Now, now you, might come to, you might be here today and you might come to the end of this message and you'll be like, oh no, my, my life doesn't reflect that at all. Even that is God's grace to you. The greater tragedy would be to be in, your, in a church for 30, 40, 50 years, die and realize you never knew the gospel. You never really set your hope in God. You never really trusted in God. So today is God's grace to us as well. But Peter's going to show us three ways that we can kind of look into the mirror of God's word and test ourselves if we are really in the faith, faith uh, to help us understand kind of three categories that he's going to unpack. Inwardly, we're going to look at our lives and look into the mirror of our lives. What, what is, is our values and visions and character being shaped by? And then upwardly to, to, to God, our relationship with the Father, does, does that look like a, a, a relationship that is the family of God? And then outwardly, how are we doing with one another? And Peter's going to say specifically, not, not in the world so much. I mean, Peter's going to talk about that for the rest of his, his letter, but really in this room, in your gospel community, in the people that are also in the family of God, how are you doing actively, proactively loving one another. So let's, let's begin to unpack that. So we'll go back to where we started. In verse 13 is where we're going to pick it up. And uh, he starts off, he says, therefore. And, and don't worry, this isn't going to be a super long sermon, but I do need to stop right there. It says, therefore. Therefore what? You should always ask, what, why is therefore, therefore? Uh, what, what is it therefore? So uh, what, what it's therefore is in the first 12 verses, if you were here last week and if you weren't, you really, really need to take some time to, to read it, maybe listen to the sermon, watch the sermon from last week, not because it was an amazing sermon, but because it really does set up the rest of Peter's letter. In fact, if you don't understand the first 12 verses, you will not understand. Worse than that, you will misunderstand and misapply what, we, what you hear today. In the first 12 verses, all Peter did was celebrate, rejoice in the gospel, what God has done for you. There was no commands, no what, the, what we'll call imperatives. There was nothing, hey, do this. No, it was just think about this. How amazing has God's love been to us? Just soak in that. That was the first 12 verses. That's what we call, and this is a pattern in the Bible, the gospel indicatives. So, so a gospel indicative is a statement of fact. Here is what God has done in spite of yourself. That was a gospel indicative. Now, following gospel indicatives come gospel imperatives. In light of what God has done, now act this way. Now here's the problem, and, and we go two ways wrong with this one. One, we get those reversed. Oh, I'm going to do the things God says I should do, therefore I will earn my salvation. That's heresy. You can't earn anything before God. So, so that's one. So we, th- th- that's, uh, we, we have a, a phrase around that. That's being gospel-centered. That at the center is the gospel, and, and that is what sets us right before God. It's his work and not ours. We are in right standing. That's the gospel indicative. And, and then the other way we go wrong is to just stop there. Well, God did everything, so I don't have to do anything. I, I can do whatever I want. 
I, I can watch whatever I want. I can spend my money however I want. I can live however I want. I, I can pursue sin however I want because God's got to forgive me because it's the gospel. No. That's a presuming upon the grace of God that misunderstands the grace of God, Peter is going to show us. So our gospel indicative leads to gospel imperatives. Now the imperative is, here's how to act, here's how to respond in light of what's true. If you really know God as Father, if you've really tasted the goodness of the gospel, the imperatives are not a burden at all. They become a blessing. They become the rails by which you grow in and celebrate the the glory and grace of God. So take, for example, uh, Jesus' last imperative. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. For someone that has been rescued and redeemed and understands the gospel, understands that the goodness of God to them, that is not a burdensome imperative. It is a glad-hearted, joy-filled imperative. I get to be a part of your rescuing mission in the world? Amen. Let's go. But it isn't an imperative. God commands you as a follower of Jesus to make disciples. It's not an option. It's not for extra credit Christians. It's not for, you know, people that have reached a, a certain level of maturity. It's an imperative. God has commanded you to make disciples if you're a follower of Jesus. So quit deferring to others. So so you understand the tension here. Therefore, in light of the good news of the gospel, here's what God's family culture looks like. Let's look at it. Again, there's three three ways. Inwardly, upwardly, and outwardly is how we'll understand it. Therefore, preparing your minds for actions and being sober-minded. First thing, the first command in Peter's letter is this. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, a couple things are going on in this verse here, in this command. First of all, he says, uh, preparing your minds for actions. Uh, Literally, uh, it it would be translated, gird up your loins. You know, back then and in the Middle East, they wear long flowing robes. And if you had to move quickly, you you would gird up your loins and tie them off so you could do some work or run or something like that. He's saying, with your mind, gird up your loins. We, We might understand it a little bit more like this. Roll up your sleeves. Get ready to engage your mind. See, Christianity is, is, a, is a heart and mind religion. In a culture that says, follow your heart, the Bible says that's a terrible idea. In and of itself, it will run wild. It will go way off track. It will be to your doom and your destruction if you just follow your heart. But we're not, also not Stoics. We only think about things. No. He says the heart and mind come together and you do the hard work of setting your mind fully on the grace of God that is to come. That's a mental exercise to train your heart. See, see we think, well, man, we're just kind of victims of our feelings. The heart wants what the heart wants. Uh, no. Peter says, No. Renew your mind to the truth. Here's what's true. And do whatever it takes. Gird up your loins. Roll up your sleeves. Do the hard work to set your hope, not a little bit, but fully on the grace that will be to come. Because, again, this is a good command. 
Because if, if you set your hope on anything other than God and his grace, it is, it is at risk of being taken away. If your hope is set on a, a relationship in 2021, if your hope is set on your job just being awesome, if your hope is set on uh, just, just the shifting sand of this world, uh, a day is coming when your hope will be shattered. And so he's inviting us and he's saying, hey, as God's children, set your hope fully on the grace. Notice what it is, the grace that is to come. We talk a lot about the grace that happened at the cross. And today we're, we're talking about the grace that empowers us now to live like this. But there is a day when Jesus is coming back. And in a, in a culture and a time where they were just wondering, when the whole world was against them, he says, hey, you can set your hope outside of this world on the grace that is to come. So that's the first thing is gird up your, your mind. But then he says in verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So before you were in Christ, the way you lived was in ignorance. And you were kind of slaves to your passions. You, you followed your heart to all sorts of destructive places. He says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, now when we think about holiness, we often think of it in, only in categories of moral rightness. And, and it is that, but it is much, much more than that. It, it, is, it is more than just being morally upright. It, it's interesting to me that Peter, he's quoting from uh, the book of Leviticus. And four times in the book of Leviticus, God says to the people, be holy because I am holy. Now, does he just mean be, don't tell lies, have pure eyes? Do, like, he does mean that, but he means so much more than that. See, Peter, there was a time, if you know his story in the book of Acts, there was a time where he wrestled with this. He, he thought, man, to come into the kingdom of God, you had to be a Jew and, and you had to fulfill the ceremonial law. And God kind of had to hit Peter upside the head and he said, no, the Gentiles are welcomed in by faith. And now Peter, who knows that, is quoting Leviticus, which is a, a book in the Old Testament to instruct the, the, the priests of God for the worship of God. Holiness... In the Bible, in, old, in Hebrew, is, means kadesh, means to cut. It means to separate, to be separate from. And so in this sense, we see that God is transcendentally holy. He is completely and totally separate from his creation. He is perfect in all of his attributes. He is morally right in every way. He is all those things, but he is more. And, and mostly he is separate. And he says, hey, as God's children... You are called out of this world to be separate, to be holy. And um, he quotes from Leviticus, and in the book of, it can't mean just moral rightness, because in the book of Leviticus, objects are said to be holy, like lampstands and furniture. Like, I would never say, hey, this chair is really holy, because it's really morally upright. No, I mean, it's upright, but... That's neither here nor there. But um, you know what I'm saying? So why? It's holy because in the book of Leviticus, the objects like the lampstands and the furniture were set apart for the exclusive worship of God. So he says we are to be set apart for the exclusive worship of God in our lives. That's what it means to be holy. This is the inward action. It, it would be like that saying, like father, like son. 
And that's what Peter says. As God is holy, you be holy. Like father, like son. Now, that, that can either be a compliment or, or an insult. If your father had a, a questionable character and, and they're like, yeah, like father, like son. That's why he cheats and lies and steals. Like father, like son. But, but our father is holy. He is transcendentally holy. And so for us to be called by someone like father, like son, it is the greatest compliment we could have because we are holy like he is holy. We are set apart for the exclusive use of worship of God. So that's kind of the inward. You shall be holy for I am holy. So we set our minds. We're holy. We look into the mirror. How are you doing on that? Is your hope set fully on the grace of God? Is your life set apart for the exclusive worship of God? Well, he goes on to an upward now. He shifts gear and he looks towards God. Verse 17. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear through the time of your exile. Now that's a kind of paradox there. You call on him as father, be afraid. <laughs> well, what's up with that? Well, well the word there uh, isn't we shouldn't be too quick to push, push it away and, and explain it away. There, there, is a, there is a kind of reverent awe. There's a kind of reverent awe that the one who spoke the universe into existence, you get to call Father. The one who is transcendently holy, you get to call Father. The one who uh, is full of mercy and grace, you get to call Father. And that should stir in you some sort of love. And there is a kind of Ah, there's a kind of fear in all genuine love. I, I love my wife dearly. So I, in a sense, live in fear that I would do anything, say anything that would harm our relationship. I love my children. And so there is a fear that, that, that I would do something that would damage them. So, so that fear is a good guardrail in my relationship with, with my wife and my daughter. And so he says, because God is your father, live in awe, live in fear. You are the Holy One and you've welcomed us into your presence. You are God. Not just that. Since we are to live uh, in awe of him, in, in fear of him. This would be what the uh, theologians might call to live quorum Deo. This is Latin for in the presence of or uh, before the face of God. So, so your life should be, should, in your mind should have this idea that everything you do is before the face of God. Like your father is right there with you. He, but, but he doesn't just see what you do. He knows what you think. He knows what your inner motivation is. And so uh, when you think about that, you live in a kind of good and holy fear. Ah, quorum Deo, before the face of God. It says in verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. So in your previous family, you were living in futile ways, but you were ransomed out of that. But look what he says, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, which at the time would be the most valuable things. He says, not with anything as meaningless as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Do you, do you see what he's saying? He, he's saying that when you, as a, a son or daughter, sin, when you, not, not just sin, when you treat sin lightly, more like that. When you say to yourself, hey, it doesn't matter. God's going to forgive me. 
it doesn't matter. I, I'm, I know what I'm about to do is wrong. I know that looking at porn is wrong. I know that uh, the way that uh, I, I treat my money is just like the rest of the world. I know that I haven't been totally forthright with my colleagues and in my dealings. I know it's not that big a deal because God, what he does is forgive after all. You see what he's saying? You are treating the blood of Jesus lightly. The most valuable thing in the universe you're treating lightly. Oh, that should not be for the family of God. Like, like it should, when, we, when it dawns on us that we have sinned against a holy God and that, that the blood of Christ had to pay for that, man, that, that, that should cause a, a repentance in our soul. Lord, I'm sorry. Your, your blood is not cheap. It's the most important thing. It's the most valuable thing in the universe. I don't want to treat you lightly in anything that I do. It would be like um, a father who loved his daughter greatly. But as the daughter grew up, she kind of went her own way and kind of began a life of rebellion and she turned her back on her father and she, she left the household and, and was living a, a life of wild debauchery and all these things. And, and things go from bad to worse in this daughter's life and, and she gets kidnapped. And, and the kidnapper, this evil man, uh, comes to the father, this good father. It says, hey, uh, if you want your daughter back, you're going to have to sell everything. You're going to have to sell your house, your boat. You're going to have to sell everything and, and to bring all that money. And we're going to uh, find a place way out in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere. You'll bring that there. You'll set that there. And, and then I'll come and get it and I'll give you your father back. And so this father goes and he sells everything. He sells his business. He sells his house. He's just in desperate pursuit of, to get his daughter back. He sells everything. And so he, when the day comes, he, he brings just all that he has and he sets it in the middle of this field and he goes a long way off and he sees the dusty road uh, begin to turn up in the distance and, and a truck come down the road and, and the, the kidnapper get out and walk toward and, and, and pick up all the, the gold and all the stuff, all the values of the father. And then as, as he picks it up, the daughter comes out and the daughter is walking towards the father and, and they're making eye contact. But, but as she passes the kidnapper, she turns and puts his, her arm around him and she walks away with him with the money and she laughs at her father. That's what Peter's saying. When you treat sin lightly, you treat the blood of Jesus lightly, cheaply, and it grieves a father's heart. We have not been bought with perishable things like gold or silver. You have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. So live like it. That's what Peter's saying. Live like that. So we live inwardly, setting our hope on God, holy lives. We live upwardly in fear and reverence and awe. We, we don't treat the blood of Jesus lightly. And then he calls us to live outwardly. He says, uh, Verse 20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world and, and was made manifest in these last times for your sake, for, of you and, and through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. That, that reminds me just before we go on to the next point, that one commentary I read this week, uh, a woman named Karen Jobes, her commentary on First Peter, she wrote this, and I wrote it down. I just thought it was so important. She says, the pagan life that God abhors will be no less abhorred if it is lived by one who professes to be a Christian. 
The Christian who has been born again of the Father must live, in fact, as a child of God. So we now look towards verse 22, how to live outwardly. It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another. He's talking about the family of God, those rescued and redeemed, purchased by the blood of God. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Earnestly. That's intentionally. That's proactively. That's looking for ways that when you come to, together uh, on Sunday and, and you can serve one another, maybe you serve in the kids' room or a setup or you just love one another proactively, it's looking for ways in our gospel communities to, to say, how can I love this person well because I have been loved well by the Father and that's my sibling in Christ. Love one another earnestly since you have been born again. Again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Drop down. That's kind of positively. We're to love one another. And again, Peter's going to say a lot about how we love the world and how we live in the world. But, but he starts with where Jesus started. Remember in the upper room, John 13, 35, Jesus says, and all the world will know that you are my disciples when you love one another, that, that, that the way that we treat each other is going to have a spiritually profound effect on the world. Like a watching world is going to say, there, is there a community that loves one another that really lives out what they say they believe? This is what we're called to as a family of God to love one another. And so negatively in verse one of chapter two, he says, so put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. So, so these have no place. Those are the old rags of the world and the foolish ways that you live. We, we wore clothes called envy and slander and malice. He says, put those ragged clothes away. You have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. You've been covered with Christ. So love one another. And again, question would be, how are you doing? In what ways can you say, man, I am actively pursuing loving, not not just my neighbors, we'll get there, but my family. How am I loving the people that I sit next to and worship this God with? Now, now, as you think about that, 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 it can be kind of painful sometimes when we look at, at the mirror and you're like, oh man, it's kind of, it could be kind of three reactions. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, you know, I, I recognize that it's just God's grace alone, and, and I praise God for that, but, but, but actually, I think I'm doing well. Like, I have set my hope fully on, on the grace that is to come. I am trying to be holy as my Father is holy. I, I am uh, being set apart. I, I am not treating the blood of Jesus lightly. I, I am pursuing loving uh, the people in my row and, and in my gospel community. I, I think I'm doing well. I would just say to you, praise God for that. If you know the truth, you just know that, that was, that's God's work in you. And you could just rest in that. Praise God for that. Keep walking in that. Keep growing in that. That, that might be you. Or, or maybe, and, and maybe this is kind of maybe the majority in this room right now. Maybe you're like, ah, I want, I want, I want those things. I, I, I want to live a holy life. There's just this, this tension in my soul sometimes. I, I just get pulled in this direction or this direction. But, but I, know in my whole, that my, I know who my identity is. I know it's in Christ. I don't want to treat the blood of Jesus lightly. I don't want to 
be that kind of person. I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be full of lust. I want to be defined by my father. I want to be like father, like son, but I'm just not there. I would say, again, it's God's grace to you. It's God's grace to you. You can do uh, mentally and spiritually what you're about to do physically when you come to this table and you remember his shed blood and his broken body. You can set your hope fully on the grace to come. Or maybe, again, like I said, many, many people come to Christ after decades in the church. And maybe you just realize, you know what? I've treated all that stuff lightly. I, I, I've, I haven't rolled like that. I, I'm just, God is love and he's got to forgive me and that's what he does. And so I, I don't really care about holy living. I don't care what I, what I watch on TV. I don't, I don't care what comes across my internet news. Feed. I, I don't care uh, about what I put in my mind. I don't care how I spend my money. I don't care any of that because my God, my God's a God of love. And, and that's not what you're describing, Mark. That's not how I want to roll. And, and, and you know what? It seems kind of judgmental call the way of the world futile and and holy lies. Like, that's kind of subjective. Like, if you're feeling that thing, even now, it's God's grace to you to expose. You're not a follower of Jesus. You're not a part of the family of God. You need his mercy. You need his grace. You need to repent is what the Bible would say. And even now, you can do that. You can say, okay, I don't know where that, how that begins. I don't know where where that goes from there. But but we have a saying here at Redemption Parker, uh, Come as you are. God will meet you where you're at. That's the beautiful, beautiful thing of the gospel. We don't have to go to God. He will meet us where we're at, where we're at. Wherever you're at right now, God will meet you where you're at, but he has no intention of staying there and keeping you in that place. No, we're, no matter where we're at today, he has every intention to make us holy, to make us in awe and worship of him, to make us righteous, to make us his good children. So if God had a family board... In light of this passage, I, I, pulled it, I put it on the screen. Here's, here's what his family board would say in light of First Peter, second half of chapter 1. In, in God's family, we set our hope fully on the grace to come. In God's family, we are set apart to live holy lives. In God's family, we live with reverent awe of God. In God's family, we do not treat the blood of Christ lightly. In God's family, we love one another earnestly. In God's family, we put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And in God's family, we pursue spiritual growth through God's word. I actually didn't get into those verses. Those were right before chapter two. But uh, this is what God's family values. Now, maybe you're like, yeah, I, I haven't. Maybe I just pick one of those this week. That's fine. God will meet you where you're at. Say, I'm going to be in awe of God this week. Okay, you could do that. But as you leave here today, and as you scatter into the world, remember who you are. Remember whose name you carry into the world. Amen? Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for your great grace. Lord, I thank you for the gospel indicative that you paid it all. Lord, I thank you for the gospel imperative that you use to grow us and mature us and to make us more like Jesus. Lord, help us. Lord, Holy Spirit, convict us in, in, from your word of areas where we just have not taken this seriously. Convict us where we treat your blood lightly, Jesus. And then let us walk in joy and freedom of your good commands. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.